Okay, we are live. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to all our viewers, our listeners, uh, and also to our dear guest Ibrahim Khan. Um, before we jump in straight into this uh, discussion with Ibrahim, I uh, wanted to tell all of you a little bit about him and about you know why we're excited to have him on this discussion uh, and on this platform. So uh, Ibrahim Khan is a co-founder of Islamic Finance Guru. Um, at the moment, it's uh, a company that provides content as well as services to Muslims to help them understand their wealth, develop their wealth further, uh, grow their wealth. Um, and he's also got a um, a, um, a venture capital thing going on as well, where they fund uh, companies, startups who have great ideas. So. Um, Ibrahim is an alumnus of both a Salam Institute's Alamiya program as well as the Oxford University. So I'm uh, very uh, honored to have him on, on the show with us. Salam alaikum, Ibrahim. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. It's an absolute pleasure to be on, Hisham. Jazakallah khair for having me. Awesome. No, we're, we're really grateful to have you. Uh, to start off, uh, you know, to start off our discussion, before I start the show, usually every day I send out a broadcast to a list of people. Uh, and today I got a response actually, and I thought it would be, it might be a good response to actually uh, start this discussion. Um, a friend wrote back to me uh, when I shared that we were going to have this conversation with you today. Uh, and he said, I don't know if I believe in this idea of Muslims becoming wealthy. He said, um, people like Warren Buffett, Mark Zuckerberg are not role models, they're symbols of self-interested greed. I believe both of these concepts are un-Islamic. Um, investments in the oil and gas sector only exacerbate the destruction of the world. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, um, uh, Rather, this was, this was the, the statement of um, Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. When the uh, he got the Khosrau of Persia's bangles and he brought them back to Medina, he said, uh, "Any people who receive this kind of wealth uh, are then destroyed." So, kind of um, sometimes you get these kind of sentiments, right? Um, and on your mission of you know educating Muslims about wealth, sometimes you do. I'm sure you do get uh, these kind of um, uh, people bringing up these kind of questions. And I thought that might be a good segue uh, into the beginning of our discussion. Um, you know, before we go into your personal journey, which we're interested in, I wanted to ask a question of, you know, can Muslims be pious and have taqwa and at the same time have money? Uh, you know, do the objectives complement one another? Um, or is wealth a distraction? As God says, you know, wealth is a, a beautification of this worldly life. So how how does Islamic finance guru, how, do, how does yourself look at that, you know, that question? And, and, and what do you think? It's a really good question. It's a really deep question. And um, I think that for different people, actually, the answer is different because mm -hmm. different people, they react in a different way to money. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I'd recommend people check out. I, I wrote this quite long article on, uh, called Is It Wrong to Be Rich in Islam? Um, which I think would be quite interesting for people to have a bit of a read of around this topic. I think mm -hmm. high level, um, high level, there's there's two things, two broad things to keep in mind. One is that, um, you know, money uh, has an effect on you, the person, and therefore, you know, you must do what is right for you. Um, mm. If you are someone that can um, hold money in his hand and, and it doesn't penetrate his heart, and there are people like that, then, um, you know, I think that it is a, a good thing 
to amass money as a as a means to lots of great ends um and and every everyone has a you know different point where they tap out right uh where certain people you know they they you know they get to half a million pounds and they start seeing dollar signs and after that it's just a complete distraction for them other people it's like a hundred thousand pounds like it was oh my god this is too much and then for other people you know even at 50 billion 100 billion it's like you know it's not really a big deal um so it depends on the person the second thing i'd say is that um you know muslims uh, globally are um, about 20 percent poorer than the rest of the world mm. and muslims are a quarter of the world's population and yet after the top 100 publicly listed companies we only have one muslim company and that's aramco um that is an oil and gas company and it's uh, from saudi arabia right and it's not necessarily you know it's not earned it's just you know they happen to be sitting on oil um this out out of the second top 100 companies there's another one uh, and that's called sabic which is another uh, aramco offshoot so you know we should have 50 companies but actually we just have two in the top 200 and you know and it, it, instead we have you know in that top 200 we've got you know microsoft google amazon um you know companies that are household names that we are using every single day like you know i'm a microsoft laptop i've been using you know amazon and i've been you know this this probably the whole thing is hosted on aws by amazon um, yeah. uh, by the way for some reason i think i've lost you i'm right here i've just put you in solo layout ah uh, okay okay fine right <laughs> no worries no worries that's all right, right that's all right um and and so that my, my point i'm getting at is actually uh the muslim community can you know if if we become wealthier as a community there are so many different positive outcomes that come out of that such as you know health outcomes education outcomes um representation in media and politics all sorts of different outcomes are uh, correlated with the amount of wealth a community has and i'm not saying by the way by any stretch of the imagination that wealth is the way is a means to solve all of the muslim community's ills but it is definitely one of the you know one of the handful maybe three to five things that we need to work on in order to get there um so for people to say that um you know wealth is not for me and wealth is not a good thing to go for as a muslim i think is uh you know it is actually harmful uh, for the muslim community as a whole i think that's a really uh, interesting response that you said that it's kind of personal the religious aspect of wealth is kind of really personal person to person um, but then on a communal level we do need wealth um, i think in islamic history quite a lot of uh, the time you had hospitals schools universities running based on awqaf right endowments um, and wealthy people um, essentially contributing and making those services free and there's even a hadith of the prophet peace be upon him you know how good is wealth you know, pious or righteous wealth or wealth used for the right ends when it's uh, in the hands of the right person or a righteous person. Um, that being, I think, uh, you know, getting that little uh, question out of the way, I'm interested also in yourself, Ibrahim. I mean, we've spoken before uh, briefly in a different context. I'm, you know, curious as to your journey, you know, where did this passion for Islamic finance begin? Uh, begin? You know, you were at Oxford studying uh, and then you ended up doing an Ademiya. You've been at Markfield doing a master in Islamic finance. Uh, I think you've also worked for some other Islamic finance companies. You know, where did the journey begin? And in an industry where there isn't really um, a trail for you to follow, how did you end up, you know, blazing that trail and and getting to where you are today? Uh, so I always 
thought about Islamic finance as a place that I wanted to get into. As a kid, uh, you know, I uh, I always wanted to like try and do something that ideally helped the Muslim community. And at the same time, you know, try and make a career out of it and, you know, um, something that I'm interested in. And so I thought, oh, Islamic finance might be the perfect thing, right? So it's like Islamic and there's finance that's, you know, impactful, there's money in it, you know, great. Um, and that's kind of the, the depth of my thinking at the time. And right. it was during the final year of university that I realized that actually, you know, to do Islamic finance properly, uh, you need like a few different things combined. You need uh, corporate experience. You need traditional experience, uh, traditional Islamic law experience. You need ideally a bit of mainstream, you know, master's level or some kind of, you know, ex experience from a uh, academic side in modern Islamic finance. Um, and then ideally, you you know, you start trying applying that in some way, shape, or form. And and so really, in you know, in many ways, the last ten years has been trying to put those various different jigsaw puzzle pieces together. Um, where you know I, all the different like studies I've been doing and um, you know my work as a corporate lawyer all of that kind of ties together and I'm not saying that I, it was very highly intentional that's kind of why it was you know completely by design but mm. it definitely the thinking definitely was there quite early and um, and then you know it kind of like all like life generally kind of comes together um, I think that you know one thing to mention here is that I thought corporate law could be the perfect route to getting into Islamic finance but once I got there, I realized that Islamic finance in the corporate world is like, it's not really that impactful. You know, you're helping rich, you know, uh, Middle Eastern banks tick a box and, you know, do these high level, massive real estate or infrastructure transactions mm. in a way that's Sharia compliant. But like, does it, you know, does it really help people? Um mm. I, I'm not convinced that it is as impactful as perhaps, you know, the stuff that I, I feel that I can uh, do with Islamic Finance Guru. And so um, essentially, I, we just started this blog off in 2015 and we just, you know, wrote away uh, into the onto the Internet for the, uh, for the last six years. And people seem to find it quite useful and slowly people started following it. And then you know, one thing led to another. And uh, here we are today. It's, it's interesting how there's always an element of planning, an element of thinking about, you know, what bits of the puzzle will be useful for what I want to do. But um, I definitely, I mean, we all know there is definitely Allah's plan taking place and Allah's Qadr kind of pushing you in particular directions. And I think with IFG also, I think there's been a snowball effect. Whereas I think between 2015 to 2016, 17, maybe you didn't have that many readers. And I, if I'm not mistaken, there must have been like an exponential hockey stick a rise in your readers and following maybe in the last couple of years yeah for sure like and from 2015 to 2019 we just plugged away did some writing it was quite nice um but then at the start of 2019 mm -hmm. me and Mohsin we we said look we let's make ifg something that we actually put on a more sustainable footing you know try and actually make money from it from the first time like see what happens mm -hmm. um and you know ideally we quit our corporate jobs and go full-time on this in two years time and within about nine months, you know, it just got out of hand. Um, you know, I tell the story about how I was on a the TFL rail on the way into central London on uh, two different calls. Both on both of them, I was on mute, and I was just sat there with two different phones on my on my ear. And Mohsin was leading one of the calls, and the partner at work was leading the other one. Uh, so I think that was the perfect moment when I kind of realised, you know what, this isn't gonna, <laughs> you know, you can't really carry on this way. And um, yeah, Alhamdulillah, like, you know, now now we kind of reach, 
hundreds of thousands of people every month. But the you know, I don't think that's anything really that we've done. All, all we've done is you know just kind of stuck at something and that we were passionate about and you know uh, do what we can. And the rest ultimately is up to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Um, and uh, you know, let's see where 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 we go. Brilliant. Um... I've, you know, looking at the articles on your website and, you know, you can tell there's been a development in the writing as well as a whole host of, you know, topics covered. What are you in like the next six months to a year or two years, you know, what should we be most excited about when it comes to IFG? Like what's next? Um, you know, you've got a number of products going on, a number of things that you're looking to offer. Um, but what's kind of, uh, what, what are you most interested in or most excited about when it comes to IFG? So, um, you know, the mission with IFG, we want to help Muslims everywhere get wealthier uh, for all of the reasons that we discussed previously, right? Um, for me, and for me, honestly, it's about the community aspect. Mm. I actually, you know, weirdly don't actually care if you, the individual, the person sat, whoever in front of me, whoever it is, mm. um, sorts their money out for themselves. Um, I actually care that they do it for the greater good. Um, so that's why we're doing it. And we think the two ways to do that is by helping you know, every Muslim um, get onto the uh, property ladder, get in touch with the right investments, uh, get out of debt, basically just become a lot more money savvy. Um, and then at the same time, the other side of what we do is ifg.vc, where we help Muslim startups um, try and become the next big thing. So, um, you know, if, if there's the next Google or Microsoft in the works, then we are hoping that, you know, we can uh, we can make that happen and be part of that journey. Um, the thing that I guess I'm most excited about here is, um, you know, the next few iterations of the, you know, the marketplace, the comparison platform that we have. Um, right now, it's just a, you know, very plain comparison engine. Um, in the coming weeks and months, inshallah, there's, you know, going to be a portfolio dashboard where you can actually track your investments. You can pay zakat from it straight away. Oh, wow. You can integrate that into your Islamic will. Um, you know, you can, you know, all, you can do all sorts of really cool things there. Um, and, and that, that I think will hopefully, you know, and then we need to make sure that we start going global and helping Muslims everywhere, because right now we're just very, you know, UK and Western focused. Um, but, you know, honestly, my, the thing that excites me is trying to achieve this mission. Like it's, it's very big, it's very audacious. Of course. Uh, and it's highly likely that we may fail. But, you know, that's the fun of it, right? Because you're trying to go for something big. Um, and, uh, you know, all it, all it takes is a few things going in the right way. And, uh, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do anything. Uh, and who knows, who knows where we could end up? Mm. I think that's, I, I suppose that, you know, perhaps in 2015, you may not even, even have imagined that you'd have gotten here where you are today. And that's the that's the beauty yeah. of the journey. Um, when it comes to investments, you mentioned the investment comparison engine. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people who, uh, perhaps Muslims who are migrants to the UK in the last, you know, last 60 to 70 years, there's been the famous uh, anecdotal adage of people putting money under the mattress um, and kind of, uh, you know, not telling the taxman how much you're earning and go to a chicken and chip shop and it's always cash only. Um, but then when it's cash only, the cash goes under the mattress and we don't really know what to do with the cash. There is a, there tends to be a, uh, a culture, a little bit of distrust in you know conventional investments, stocks and shares, etc., um, within perhaps the kind of the average Muslim mind, uh, or even you can say even in the the, the mind of the old schoolers, the ones who uh, kind of initially migrated over. 
um, why are investments, you know, such an important part of becoming wealthy as Muslims? And, you know, how can, can the average Muslim think about it and kind of uh, grow their wealth in a sustainable way? It's a great question. And actually, in a way, it comes back to the first question, which was, you know, I don't, we don't, we shouldn't really, you know, worry about getting wealthy. But the, the, the issue, the, the problem is, it's not really a problem, but what people don't realize is that when you have earned some money and you've got a pot of savings, let's say £2,000, um, it's not a decision of, oh, I'm going to invest this. Or actually, you know what? I'm just going to leave this to the side and not really worry about it for now. Mm-hmm. Both of those decisions are actually investment decisions about your portfolio. In mm-hmm. one, you have invested 100% of it in uh, in cash, and in the other, you've actually done something with it. Um, where, where you've invested 100% of it in cash, let's say you invest uh, £50,000 in uh, just leave it in cash. Yeah. Over 10 years because of zakat and because of inflation that will dwindle down to 10000 pounds you've lost 80% of your wealth in 10 years and wow. um, if you just invested that in just a basket of you know fairly ordinary stocks um, over 10 years you're probably looking at something like 200000 pounds like a 3 4x multiple is very easily possible um, doing just very ordinary things and mm-hmm. and you know that difference is pretty stark and mm-hmm. people don't often they don't realize this you know i was uh, talking recently to the head of equities at one of the you know big tier one investment banks in london uh, muslim guy con- uh, revert mashallah and he was uh, essentially saying that you know this is the head of equities this is like one of the 0.1% of the world in terms of um, you know understanding of investment and also mm-hmm. uh, wealth as well of course and, and he was saying that actually a lot of it has just been sat in cash for the last, you know, uh, number of years because there wasn't really anything for him to like, you know, just get over this hurdle of how to actually start investing. Um, what's halal, what's haram and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the pain point that we're trying to like solve because if we can help people like that, but also just, you know, much, much ordinary people like you and me, if we can help that entire bucket to, um, just you know get on get their investments and money sorted that has a potentially big impact mm. that's really interesting i think that's um something that all of us kind of discount is the idea that although physically your cash may be sitting there it's not actually sitting there it's either you lose the value or you gain value uh there's no kind of there's no neutral uh, in that sense yeah investment can almost be seen as like a survival mechanism for that wealth to just maintain it rather than to um to throw it away what's some of the kind of investment mechanisms or kind of let's say you know i don't have the mental capacity to like um investigate the sharia compliance of stocks and shares or to you know what's the easiest where's the easiest place for a muslim to start when looking at investments um so we've got like a, a bunch of uh, halal investing 101 guides uh, that you can google and get yourself you know get tucked into those they point you into various directions about various different things but it's a good starting point to start reading those um broadly speaking they uh you know there are stocks and shares which is one big bucket there's mm-hmm. fixed income stuff which is like rental you know things like that that give you a fixed return and then there are alternative assets things like startups um sme financing gold um cryptocurrencies and things like that 
So those are the three broad buckets. And um, and yeah, we we kind of, you know, with these guides, we, we help you just kind of make sense of what the lie of the land is. If you want to get more advanced, we do courses as well, um, mm -hmm. probably twice or thrice a year. Um, we uh, And then we've just got a whole ton of, you know, just general resources on the internet as well. Um, and then look, if you, it's not just, you know, we don't, you don't have to just read us. There's, there's lot, if you just Google around, you'll find lots of interesting websites like Nerd Wallet, Investopedia, Money Saving Expert. Um, there's lots of them out there that are great. Would you say that in the last maybe, you know, five to 10 years, there's been an uptick in products that are serving the general Muslim masses in terms of, you know, halal sources of investment? I think so. And I think it's uh, just gen uh, part of the general trend where um, access to fintech and being able to create fintech is actually now relatively easy. Anyone, uh, any you know, Tom, Dick and Dawood can come along and uh, create uh, a, a digital bank like a, like a Monzo overnight. Not overnight, but like within a few months. It's very easy to do these days. Mm. And because of that explosion and that ease of access, uh, lots of people have come about with lots of different solutions, which I think is ultimately a good thing because the problem with traditional Islamic finance was that, as I said, it's, it was mainly to just, you know, help large corporates tick a, tick a box. It yeah. wasn't grassroots up, like actually trying to solve the problems of the Muslim community. Uh, yeah. The problems we have, like, we don't care about who, who uh, funds the Shard or, you know, the London barracks. We don't care yeah. about that. But the, mm. Both of them, by the way, were Islamic finance. But wow. what we do care about is insurance. Um, do we actually ha even have a one Islamic insurance product in the UK right now? The answer is no, we don't. Mm. Um, you know, do we all have pensions available, Islamic pensions available for the workplace, you know, all workplace pensions? The answer is no, we don't. We have 30% of Muslims without a pension. Mm. Um, we can talk about that perhaps. Um, there are like really businesses. Um, there is such a lack of business finance available right now from a Sharia compliant perspective. Mm. Uh, there aren't enough ways to buy a house in a Sharia compliant way. Um, and, and I think that even the Islamic banks, whilst, you know, they're doing some good stuff, ultimately, I don't think they're moving fast enough. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think there's been a big sea change. There's a lot more demand. People yeah. have come a lot more online as well. And I think that all of these things are a positive thing, uh, inshallah. It's really interesting that, um, at least from my own background, I actually, uh, as you know, obviously, that I worked at Monzo uh, in its early days. And uh, I've recently seen a lot of um, Islamic challenger banks, right? So I've seen Kestrel, I've seen um, you know, a few others. I think there was Rizq as well. I've seen a few others. And I always questioned, like, um, do we need more Islamic branded prepaid cards? slash Islamic branded banks? Or is there really a call for something a bit more creative, a bit different uh, that really we're looking to, you know, that Muslims really need? You know, like you're mentioning pension insurance, there's like obvious gaps. But I think what tends to happen is um, there's always the kind of, maybe part of it is like the me too vibe. Like you see one successful business model and, you know, everybody's going for that business model. Um, or even perhaps it's just to kind of ease ease of access to that particular type of business. Um, but there's there's a lot out there and I think you've, you've highlighted some some interesting gaps. I wanted to ask about VC, so venture capital. Uh, you know, for those who don't know what venture capital is, it's essentially funding for you know Muslim businesses or, or rather in general venture capitalist funding for startups, for companies, not necessarily tech companies, um, but these are organizations which vet, look at, study, and then offer you know, funding for this. So when I when I under, when I initially found out about Islamic Finance Guru, I never thought that 
venture capital or investing in startups or being a, ve- being a vehicle for investment was kind of part of the picture. So how did, where did that, you know, come from? Where was the initial spark where that initially came through, the idea? Yeah, well, my background was, uh, as you know, in corporate law and specifically in funds formation, um, so private equity and venture capital funds formation. And as part of that, you, you know, you obviously get uh, interesting, you know, deals and inside information about various stuff that's going on. You just, you just see life in a different way. Uh, you see that, you know, I, I was, I don't know if lucky or unlucky or whatever the word is, but I was involved in three different uh, transactions over the last year and a half where, um, you know, the one, three of the top 10 billionaires in the world have been involved in some way, shape or form in either that wow. fundraising or that investment. Um, the, as the part of IFG rate. or as part of your corporate, um, your corporate career? Oh, interesting. Both. So, um, you know, some startups that we invest in, you know, they've had investments with from the likes of the Jeff Bezos family office, uh, the Gates Foundation and their um, investments. And then previously, I was in, involved in a fundraise involving the founder of Google, Larry Page. And wow. and when you because so what I, I guess what I'm saying is when you're seeing how the one percent invest their money, and you see that a lot of it <coughs> is going into venture capital mm. and private equity, and that's a slightly separate thing. Yeah, um, you realize that Muslims are just nowhere to be seen, um, and. At the same time, you know, I started angel investing because I, you know, I found it interesting. I found it quite fun. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of how the whole thing started, because I started, uh, you know, once you get into the community, into that network, you see more deals, you do more deals. And then just things spiraled out of, you know, control. Um, <clears throat> and we had like lots of friends and family then investing. And, uh, and then IFG.VC came along, which was the formal version of that, because once you get past a certain level or a number of investors, then it kind of, kind of becomes a bit hard to just keep control of the whole thing. Um, so that's kind of what we're up to there. Um, <clears throat> we've done about 26, 27 investments now. Actually, no, 27, 28 investments. Um, we, you know, we're very picky about what we invest in because we don't think it's, you know, it's not, it's not a charity case. Like what we, we don't want, what we don't want to do is just give any charity, any startup some money. We want to give the best startups or the best chance of becoming a massive company, which yeah. is what we want, by the way, because that's how you quickly catch the Muslim community up. Mm. And um, and we do one or two deals a month, 100 to 200, 300,000 pounds per deal. Uh, we've done about five, we've done about five and a half million pounds of investing now. Mm. Um, and, you know, Alhamdulillah, that's growing slowly. Um We've, you know, Alhamdulillah, we, we get some fairly good deals. So we've co-invested people like the chairman of Twitter, the co-founder of Airbnb, of uh, the co-founder of Twitter as well, wow. um, the various people I mentioned before. So, like, you know, you you get to see. Um, have you heard of Naval Ravikant? And yes, uh, yeah. So we're doing a deal with where he was. He's a co-investor as well. Um, very wow. shortly, uh, and a whole bunch of other ones as well. So the uh, the point I'm making is that you know we want Muslims, and that's the kind of level that the top five one percent of deals that we need to be involved in because that's where the next Google is coming from. Um, so we've kind of just tried to optimize for that to make that happen. And you might ask me, and I think it's a fair, really fair question. Um, you probably won't ask me this because you might not realize, but you know, we ask ourselves this because we're always thinking about how we can have maximum impact. And that is, well, uh, Ibrahim, aren't you just backing companies that would have been backed anyway? Mm. If not, 
good? Um, the answer to that is probably twofold. One is uh, sometimes no, um, people just miss things. Um, and that's where you get the returns anyway in venture capital. But also, secondly, you know, just being part of the ecosystem in venture capital right now in London, um, I could probably point out and say there's about four or five key Muslims in this venture capital community of about, you know, 100, 150 top people. That's it. Um, there's about five of us. And, and, you know, the more you have, the better it is. And that, that five can be hugely influential in connecting up people, helping each other out, um, you know, uh, introducing you to people and just generally watching out for each other. Um, and that can't be understated. And the reason why Silicon Valley is successful is partly because of the money, uh, but also partly just because of the fantastic networks that, that are there. Um, you know, there's a really strong network between Silicon Valley and Tel Aviv as well in Jerusalem. Um, which is the reason why so many, you know, Israel, Israel is such a big VC hub right now. Mm. Um, now, if we can, as a Muslim community, create something equivalent to that, uh, you know, I think that's a, that's massive. Yeah, I'm just thinking about Haramain VC right now, perhaps as the other, <laughs> the opposing version of the uh, the Israel VC, the Jer Jerusalem VC mm -hmm. scene. Um, that's really interesting. And I think even there's another aspect over there, which is that, there are a lot of Muslims working in technology, um, but to have the courage to do your own thing, and of course, shout out to our friends at Scoodle and, and other places who are, uh, you know, doing it, um, kind of um, Muslims, you know, running their own startups, being enterprising. I mean, I, I believe, you know, business is in our blood, you know, as they say, the Prophet Sallallahu was a trader. He was working for Khadija Radiallahu Anha, who was also a trader. Um, so perhaps, there, you know, there is a, there's a special virtue, perhaps, you know, one can say to trade or to business uh, in the Islamic tradition. You know, Muslims from Yemen uh, sailed across Indonesia, South India, across the coast, converting everybody, uh, you know, people along the way to Islam and also giving them their clothing. Uh, you know, as we, you know, in South India, where I'm from, we wear lungis or dhotis, as they say in Pakistan. And when you go to Indonesia and, and Malaysia, you find the same clothing. Uh, and then we meet Yemenis and they're wearing the same clothing. And we realize that trade was a very powerful um, you know, a very powerful mechanism, you know, for the spread of Islam. Um, but perhaps we can say that today, kind of a lot of us have become comfortable with our paychecks. You know, business is not easy. And there is that aspect of seeing a Muslim who's successful on the tech entrepreneurship scene, scene well-funded by, by other VCs, you know, someone like Scoodle, for example, funded by the co-founder of Twitter. You know, it really is a booster for a young Muslim thinking about going down that route, but then fearful of the idea that there's no, nobody who's trodden the path before them. So I think there really is a, 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 a positive there. Um, you know, what is your, you meet, you probably meet a lot of Muslims who are looking for investment. You know, what is your, your advice to, uh, you know, young Muslims out there who are thinking about eventually setting up their own enterprises or running their own startups or creating their own technology, um, having been on the scene and rubbed the shoulders, uh, you know, of others on the scene, you know, what would be your advice? Um, my advice would be uh, early doors, try and like experiment, you know, start early. Uh, all, all you're trying to do is ultimately with a business, all you're trying to do is solve a problem. Mm -hmm. So pick a problem and try and solve it and just get better and better at solving problems with a technical layer. Uh, and, you know, that'll stand you in good stead. Uh, I think it's, it's true that having great role models and um, great networks is so, so, so vital. Um, so, you know, you mentioned Ismail. Ismail's a great guy. We invested in Ismail as well. 
Um, and, you know, having him there, like, you know, he, he can ask us questions about, you know, oh, do you know this guy or that guy or introduce me here or there and vice versa. Like, he, you know, he's very helpful to us. Um, Eamon on Fido, uh, which is, you know, the ID checking company that people like Monzo and Revolut and Starling and others use. Um, he's hugely influential in the VC world. And uh, also, you know, he's a Muslim and, you know, he's very helpful to the Muslim and, you know, minority cause. And, uh, and having people like that throughout that ecosystem, you know, uh, people who have not only, you know, done well early doors, but also gone all the way through to now, inshallah, on Fido, actually IPOs is wow. absolutely fantastic, right? Because that that then creates a proper virtuous cycle in the community because where is all of that on Fido money coming from, like going to, right? Because not only, you know, the guys who run it, but also the angels, early angels in Unfido, a lot of them, you know, Muslims. So where's that money going to go? That money's going to go back into venture capital, I'm sure, some of it. Um, because, you know, if you've done that well, you might as well try again. And and then that then inspires a community. And this time you've got a lot more knowledge in that system uh, of lots of Muslims that Unfido hired as well, by the way. Um, who know you know who know what it looks like to work in a company that goes through hyper growth and succeeds and then that then enables the whole virtuous cycle so my advice would be start early and start experimenting try and work for a good startup that's well funded you learn a lot um, and then um, and then just give it a go and uh, you know don't uh, I almost feel like you know not not business isn't for everyone by the way like you yeah. need you know, it's, it's there's a very big difference between the ideal of business and you know the the rom romance romantic and rosy picture of business and actual business mm -hmm. which is extremely hard work and it's all it's all consuming really if you're doing a startup um uh, as you kind of like you probably know from you know various historical experiences um i mean could you tell us a little bit about yourself as well ibrahim I mean, if you're comfortable to in, in the sense that You've mentioned one particular example of, you know, two phones on one on each ear and both muted where you're muted on both calls. But, you know, as a, you know, as a family man, as you are and, you know, the other things going on in your life, you know, how has the impact of running IFG been? You know, has it been an overwhelming, still kind of trying to figure out how to manage it with everything else? You know, how is that journey for an entrepreneur? It's, uh, um, it's, it's pretty hard. Um, so you... You know you have to balance because if you don't balance then uh actually you counterintuitively make it worse for the business uh you need to you know you need to op operate at that tip just before that tipping point between uh you know the maximal effort out but also then you know you're starting to wear out the machine um so you need to just operate at that tipping point uh, so like for me like the typical day looks like you know i'll be working from probably about 9 a.m sharp to about six, six thirty, seven, um, and then I'll switch off for a few hours, um, and you know, spend time with the family, put people, you know, to bed, have dinner with them, etc., um, and then probably have a second shift most evenings these days, um, somewhere between nine thirty, you know, and maybe like eleven midnight, uh, yeah. and then kind of just repeat that cycle. But it, you know, you don't. To be honest, I don't really feel that you know i enjoy what i do as well so i like i don't feel like it's you know i don't i don't feel like it's working the same way that you know when you're an employee so um but it's you know it's i i can't stress enough to people who uh haven't run a business before that you know that it's very different from 
the LinkedIn curated LinkedIn posts that you might see from people. Uh, business is not like that. It's uh, it's it's hard work, um, and it, it, you know, hardworking people, whether or not they're in business in other places, uh, will generally be successful. And you know, business is no different. That's really interesting. And and I feel, do you kind of advocate for this idea of you know holding down your down your full time job and you know experimenting on the side, seeing what clicks for a few years before you know fully taking the plunge, or do you think it's really a case by case thing? It's a, I think it's a case by case thing. Um, if you uh, if you you know you're doing something on the side, things almost always start on the side. Um, if especially if you're the person who brings about that idea in the first place, and then it kind of you know if it gets to a certain point of traction. Then you might raise a bit of money, and you know you might go on it full time. Um, but if uh, you know, sometimes and there might be an idea that someone already already has, and they're putting together a team now to get the raise sorted, and then they invite you on. Then of course, you know you can jump straight on uh, onto a startup. So it, I think it's like case by case basis, but um, uh, but you need to feel passionate about the problem and the the business as a whole, uh, not just the concept of doing business and the concept of being, you know, part of the startup community. Mm. Makes sense. Um, I'm going to ask another question kind of from a different lens, uh, kind of from the lens as a parent. I'm a parent. Uh, I believe you're also a parent and probably we have many listeners who are parents or young parents. Um, when it comes to, you know, the articles on your website, the entire content that you create on YouTube, it, you're trying to kind of re-educate the Muslim community on on wealth, what it is, how we can deal with it. And there, there is a psychology attached to it. And I do believe there's a stigma that we have, you know, associated with wealth because of the wrong associations we make between certain ahadith that are to do with kind of becoming obsessed with wealth or becoming pulled in or consumed by it, um, as opposed to trying to earn it for beneficial means. Um, I know that, you know, even personally, you know, the parenting mechanism in a lot of, you know, Arab subcontinental society doesn't involve the teaching of how to earn, how to spend, how to do business. Whereas we know in the prophetic era, you had, you know, companions like Abu Bakr Siddiq, God be pleased with him, who was doing trade by the age of, you know, 11, 12, 13. Um, and it was completely normal in the, the souk, in the marketplace, the bazaar of Medina to see, you know, seemingly young boys running and doing trade, traveling country to country in order to do trade and learning in the process about money, how to manage it, how to save it, how to spend it. Um, you know, what on that on that front of as parents for our children, but even on the front of, uh, you know, even general education or re-education, do you think that financial literacy is something that needs to be in madrasa, maktab curriculum? Do you think it needs to be part of what parents deliberately kind of educate and inculcate within their children? My, my thinking is actually like a bit more deeper, maybe not deeper, but like a bit more like more baser than that, like a bit more primary than that. Go on. And that is that, you know, the, the economy, the world is, you, you know, if you look at it, everything is in some way, shape or form, some sort of transaction. Uh, you know, when you go to school, this is the school, the way it works is tied together by taxpayer money, mm -hmm. contracts, employment contracts with various teachers uh, grants uh, in and out of the school hospitals are the same businesses are obviously businesses so we just everywhere that we look this is a web of transactions that we are looking at now um and, and the job you know keeping in this this kind of view in mind this kind of hologram view in mind um the job of the the muslim 
is to navigate this world of transactions in a way that is equitable and just and is trying to you know do good for people mm-hmm. and uh and and the, the this transactional element you know being good at this kind of way of thinking of things is is a practice is an art it's you know it's something that you get better at over time mm-hmm. so actually what i would be keen to get my kids to do is yeah potentially experiment with business and entrepreneurship um but actually the the skill that you're learning here is the skill of you know taking various you know transactions this crisscrossing web and organizing them into a way that adds value and more webs and more you know and more you know worth in the world and and you only do that by trying and failing trying and failing so um you know it's you know it, it teaches you a lot more than just how to make money um you know it, it when you're doing a transaction you're making a transaction you're trying to solve a problem you know uh, avoid conflict uh, understand where other people are coming from understand human psychology uh, appreciate you know how this is going to pan out in 5 6 7 years it you know it teaches you something you know lots of various various things which are i think um quite quite hard to otherwise teach so in other words i guess what i'm saying is that i would make it uh, not just like financial literacy part of the curriculum mm-hmm. i'd actually just encourage you know big uh projects that muslim kids and other kids would should have to do uh, that get them into entrepreneurship properly because mm-hmm. then from that financial literacy just follows anyway you know on that point of projects i still have a good memory that my dad uh, doesn't hesitate to mention at every occasion and when i was young um i hosted a bake sale at my school i was very uh, very business minded and um i remember convincing my dad to take me to the wholesalers so i could get the cheaper you know, the cheaper price for things i was selling at school and my dad kept asking me what's this bake sale for and i said children in need and um that evening when i pocketed the profits he said hold on i thought it was for children in need and i said yeah that's me i'm a children i'm a child in need and i still uh, you know hold that that experience dear but it's a great tip for parents to kind of get the children involved get them to learn about entrepreneurship do a bit of business here and there uh, project based learning rather than purely you know information or literacy that people take away um i think those are all uh, excellent points um you know on the topic of you mentioned you know you know islamic finance is about just transactions it's about protecting the people involved in those transactions um and it's a, it's something that i do think about sometimes um in kind of in the world we live in where um you've got paper currency which is essentially iou notes um and you've got an economy that's really it's underpinned by you know a fundamental principle that we are opposed to the idea of riba right that kind of a debt based economy um some people feel and you know within the muslim community there is a perhaps a healthy skepticism towards islamic finance as this kind of scheme where um we kind of accept the conventional methods and just put uh, an islamic branding over it um, of course that's not necessarily the reality but do you think an islamic economy is a possibility you know and do you think you know all the islamic finance organizations banks working out there are really do you think we're getting closer to something like that I think it's uh it's a possibility but it's a long 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 way off. Um I think that the ultimately this you know when you're talking about financial systems you're talking really not about economies you're talking about power and politics. 
um, because that is what actually gives value to any of these currencies and notes and financial systems. So right now, uh, the USA and China are the, the leaders in the world when it comes to finances, and I guess London as well as a financial hub. And, and that's what dictates what, what happens to the world economy. Um, because China is the biggest owner of, you know, the U.S. Uh, treasury bonds and U.S. currency. And China essentially takes its money and buys uh, U.S. stuff. Um, and, you know, that it makes it makes profit of it. And and then the U.S. doesn't have enough money. So it, it lends it more money. China lends it more money uh, and gets more treasury bonds back. Uh, and then the U.S. you know produces more stuff, and the China buys it, uh, and you know, and then the whole kind of vicious cycle goes on. And and all oh, by the way, China is giving them money so that they can then buy Chinese stuff as well. Mm. So um, I guess what I'm saying is that for us as Muslims to have this Islam Islamic economy, we just need to be massively, massively powerful, um, and that will only happen over a period of very sustained and focused work uh, over decades. Um, uh, of of trying to help create large uh, businesses um, in emerging areas uh, that that then establish Muslims in that space. So you know, twenty years ago, we did not have um, you know Amazon or Netflix. Of course, like 20, 25 years ago, we didn't have Google. Um, yeah. You know, Microsoft was was very different to where where it is today. Uh, Spotify, you know, none of these companies, Dropbox, uh, you know, uh, StreamYard, for example, none of these things existed uh, back in the day. Mm -hmm. And yet within such a short period of time, these companies actually are now like countries in themselves. Wow. You know, Australia, when it's uh, beefing right now with Facebook <laughs> and, and, and Google and all the other ones, it, it's an equal battle because uh, you know, if you look at these companies' reserves, they are sat on literally trillions at times. Wow. Um, and and you look at you know the GDPs of some of the countries in the world, uh, they're nowhere near um, the, the power of these companies have. So I guess what I'm saying is that let's um, let's you know focus on um, getting our uh, you know just get more power politically. Um, and economically, and and you know maybe we could have some really uh, interesting wins around blockchain uh, and cryptocurrency, which I think is a, a very promising early stage area that Muslims should get involved in at the ground floor, because mm. you know if if Muslims can develop there and you know establish a foothold there, and that blossoms, then just like you know Silicon Valley has ridden the wave of you know the the Dell and Sun Microsystems and Microsoft and IBM generation, and then all of that, and the, all of that has uh, that has spawned with the Salesforce and Googles of the world, and then now the Facebooks and Instagrams and Spotify's, mm. and Snapchats of the world. If if we can do that with blockchain, mm. twenty thirty years could be a different world. That's very true. It's interesting. You, I was actually going to ask about that next about you know the opportunity with Bitcoin and the kind of uh, fatawa that are you know. Uh, the various fatwas surrounding the subject, and you know, the average Muslims, like, what do I do? Uh, is there, really, is it really, is it a bubble or is it an opportunity? And and uh, what do you think of that? Do you think it is, you know, 
too fluctuation, too much fluctuation, too speculative, or do you think really there is, you know, a solid opportunity there if you, uh, if you, if you're a solid investor? Yeah, two questions, two um, points there. Mm. One is that you know there, there's the whole discussion around you know investing in cryptocurrency as it is, um, and, and my view on that is that it's it's a nice alternative asset now. Um, and it's definitely, I think, going to grow and grow and grow. Um, and, you know, we, we did like a, our personal kind of uh, share screen of the top 50 cryptocurrencies. Um, yeah. So in financegroup.com forward slash crypto, we did like a, you know, ready-made kind of uh, screen of the top 50 and we'll do more as well. And and I, I now own I think two cryptocurrencies and I'll probably own, you know, a few more in the coming weeks. Um I think that it's a nice, like, it's almost like a bit of a, you know, hedge against the wider portfolio. I wouldn't go and bet the house on it. I wouldn't, you know, mm. make the mainstay of your uh, your investment. The, and the reason why I wouldn't do that is because I believe that investments should be impactful. Um, and investing in a currency, uh, even, even one that might go up a lot, is not fundamentally helpful or impactful or adding value to the world. Mm. If you buy a house... That puts a roof over someone's head. It gives shelter. It gives you rent. You know, there's a use to it in the world. Cryptocurrency, it's really at the moment just a bit of a store of value. Um, mm. And, you know, there's a bit of hype around it. And most of the value to it is imbued by people. Um, it doesn't really add value to the world. Having said all of that, the second point I'd like to make about cryptocurrency, and this is the one that I'm more interested in, is Muslims actually getting involved in blockchain and the underlying technology and then trying to use that to solve real world problems um, that i think is the game changer because ultimately solving real world problems and adding real value to the world that's the thing that survives the tulip you know the tulip uh, bubble uh, of the netherlands ultimately popped right back back in i think the 1800s or 1700s that yeah. doesn't survive bubbles don't go up and down uh and you know currencies or whatever they go up and down but if you can if you can add real value that that that'll stay interesting i think there's there's good advice in there for our listeners and for everybody uh, right at the end we're going to take a quick a uh, couple of questions um and wrap up here ibrahim if you've uh, if, if you've got um nothing else to add to that point first question uh, from tahmid is you know how could young muslim professionals get involved with ifg if you do expand in future i mean are you looking to replace your the ceo i think tahmid might be in for a for an application on that one <laughs> Definitely. No, um, we'll, inshallah, I'm sure we'll be hiring um, over the course of this year. So, yeah, please subscribe to our website and you'll probably hear about it first there, inshallah. Brilliant. Um, Ishtiak asks, uh, you know, we're growing up in the West, ideas of wealth and how to earn money are unfortunately greatly influenced by Western ideology. How can Muslims learn and take on board an Islamic view and values when it comes to, when it comes to wealth? Uh, I think we need to... Um, just educate ourselves and um, study with scholars around around these topics uh, and you know just give a counter narrative just like you know family values uh, have you know the west west has a very particular approach to family values we if we want to maintain ours we have to live them and teach them and so i think it's the same with money as well and perhaps one could say like the, the family is the greatest vehicle of preserving any such values you know parent to children, generation to generation. Um, I'll take another one here. Silver Lion asks, do you think Muslims must work within the riba capitalist system and accumulate capital to exert our power or create an 
or should they create an alternative halal system and slowly exit this one? In difficult question. <laughs> I, the, the problem is that we're already in, within uh, the system as it is. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think it's, it is a little bit utopian to think that you can create like a alternative system. Um, I think you have to work within within what you have, mm. um, and, and obviously, like try and work and you know try and think of ways to you know mutate the system in directions that you want to, mm-hmm. um, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But um, you know you need a critical mass with these sort of things, and you you just won't have that straight from the get go. Great advice there. Um, Noor asks, what do you think of platforms like eToro and copying other experienced investor portfolios? So uh, I, uh, in my past life, was for a while um, a financial regulation um, lawyer, uh, trainee, and I actually got to, you know, uh, this the law firm that I trained at, um, they, they had lots and lots of clients from the CFD contract for difference and derivatives and forex mm. providers, uh, people like eToro, and you know that what what you don't find out is that seventy to eighty percent of the time, retail investors, i.e., ordinary investors, when they invest in these platforms, they lose money. Mm. Um, so, you know, my my um, views on people like eToro, which by the way is a Israeli company. Um, if, uh, if that you know uh, sways your decision, um, then you know you um, you're actually ending up going to lose lose more money. Uh, I just I just don't like the ethics of companies like that. Now I know that eToro has uh, has now actually got like straight up investing a bit like you know a mainstream broker does, and that is technically sure compliant. Um, but I personally just don't like them because like I've you know I've seen how they work in the background. Um, uh, and you know, if you are going to invest, try and make sure that you're avoiding derivatives, CFDs, forex, um, s- swaps, options, futures, forwards. Just avoid all of that stuff and just do straight up uh, stocks, stock investing. I think you've indirectly answered another question someone had there, which was, you know, um, how do you go about investing in the stock market and what to avoid? And I'll take one last question because we're running into Maghrib time. Um, Ahsen asks, would you recommend a platform like Wahid for new graduates who don't have much time to spend vetting stocks and other financial instruments? This might be a good time to plug in your, you know, going to Wahid through IFG's website as well. But yeah. Yeah, no, I, I highly recommend people like Wahid. I think they're great. And um, I think they're doing a great service for the Muslim community um, and blazing a trail, I think, in Islamic finance and trying to do things in a new way, which I think is really commendable and should be supported. Um, and yeah, um, highly recommend that brilliant okay jazakallah khair to our listeners jazakallah khair ibrahim for your time and uh, that's all the questions we'll take so that uh, inshallah we're not eating into maghrib time uh, once again before i close please do visit islamic finance guru's website uh, have a look at their comparison engine their venture capital opportunities um, and do visit uh, roots academy's website uh, follow us on facebook and instagram roots academy uk um, and keep an eye out for upcoming courses inshallah ta'ala jazakallah everybody and i'll end uh, here subhanakallah bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh